right, guys. Joining us today, the, always the great roast battle champion himself from Comedy Central, Earl Skakel. Earl, how are you? I am. Uh, feel like I'm living in a fantasy camp right now, so I'm happy. So we have the iconic actor, William Cat, with us today. And I could not do this podcast without Earl because... This is one of your biggest fans, Mr. Cat. No way. Awesome. Earl, here I am. toasting you with a bottle of water. <laughs> Let me get a, a bottle of Bang Energy drink. There you go. Okay. Now, Mr. Cat, we're both comics, and uh, Earl lives in Los Angeles. He lives in West Hollywood. He's a comedy store regular. And uh, we, we, we just have this weird knowledge, this pop culture knowledge. So you, we pretty much grew up with you. Like, you are a part of us. In our forties and our fifties, like oh, thanks, dude. Yeah, yeah. Does thanks, that make feel old? Now I need a glass of wine. Okay. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, that's great. To... Just like to be recognized for anything you do. You know. Well, I want you to know, I once bought a twelve hundred and fifty dollar laser disc player to solely watch Big Wednesday. So holy Christ! Uh, you know that movie was so iconic to me. Um, now let's get into I, this. Let's get into Big Wednesday. Great. You know, Basil Basil Polidorus was such a great composer, and the score on that film was just freaking amazing. It was so wonderful. We're just going to dive into Big Wednesday because this has been a part of my life. Earl is like has such an affection for it, okay. and growing up, I mean, like, what was it like playing that role? How did you get that role? Let's talk. Let's get nerdy. Let's get really nerdy right now. Well, you know, you and I are both from Sherman Oaks. I mean, that's where I grew up, too. You know, we went, uh, some of us here have gone to the same schools, in fact. But um, I started surfing when I was like 10 or 11 years old. Uh, I, I learned to surf down at Brook Street in, in Laguna Beach with a, with a buddy of mine, Tommy, and uh, surfed, you know, down there. And uh, I was like a, a regular in, uh, in Malibu. I'd go to I go to Malibu before school many days a week, you know, going to class completely sandy, you know, and uh, much to the chagrin of whoever was sitting next to me. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah, I grew up being a surfer and it was really kind of uh, cathartic for me when I got that role. Uh, I remember my dad telling me early on I could never make a living with my surfboard and I proved him wrong. I said, hey, Dude, I'm, I'm making a living with my surfboard. And your parents were actors too, right? Yes, they were. Uh, Bill Williams, uh, a very well-known cowboy, uh, pretty much for Kit Carson. And my mom was Barbara Hale, uh, who was best known for Dallas Streets uh, on the the uh, award-winning Perry Mason series many, many years ago. I think from 50, 55 to 63. I mean, and I grew up on both their sets, Kit Carson and Perry Mason. I was, <clears throat> that was like a holiday to get out of school and go down to the set and hang out, have coffee and eat donuts and hang out on all the, uh, all the equipment and climb up there on the old Mitchell cameras with the, learn how to do the wheels, the figure eights with the old wheels, you know, it was pretty bitching. Yeah, it was a great, it was a great childhood. What was it like working with your mom in Big Wednesday? Because, uh, she was the uh, house mom in the party scene, and she was very funny in it. She she was very funny. You know, she she told the story that uh, when she walked in to meet John Milius, the the writer director, she said, "Well, John, you can't tell me that I that I don't fit the part because <laughs> 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 she was she was my mom." Actually, you know what? We worked together before that. 
She did two episodes, or after that, she did two episodes of Greatest American Hero uh, years after Big Wednesday. And then we worked again on The Masons for almost five years together. Now, I'm not, I'm not familiar with Greatest American Hero, so let's talk Big Wednesday. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what are you talking about? It's an iconic show. I know. Sunday. I'm being funny, Earl. We're comedians. Damn it. So <laughs> what other Big Wednesday questions you have, Earl? Because you love that movie so much. Well, I just, if you could talk about the cast, because it's such an iconic cast. Obviously, you, Gary Busey. Jan yeah. Michael Vinson and your Carrie castmate, uh, the great Michael Talbot, uh, a oh, pre, yeah, yeah, yeah. Freddy uh, Krueger, uh, Robert England. Earl, uh, Earl, don't, don't you know Gary Busey, Earl? I've done a few comedy shows with him. He, uh, let's just say, uh, meeting him once was enough. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love him. I mean, uh, he's a great, buddy, he's a great guy. You know what? You know he plays that. He plays that guy that's uh, crazier than a June bug, but he's really, he's really freaking, he's like a Rhodes Scholar. He's so smart. Oh, absolutely. I just, I think I got too caught up and I said, hey, are they ever going to do a sequel to Big Wednesday? Like, where maybe you play Bear uh, or, yeah. you, you know, uh, a Bear like <laughs> character. And that's another cast, Sam Melville. Uh, and yeah. he's like, what the hell would they do a sequel to that movie for? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, I guess not. Yes. Yeah, oh, Sam. God, we lost Sam early on. And who else was in that film? Daryl Fetty, who went on to be a award-winning writer and producer yeah, in his own right. And Red Brown, who had many successful film ventures. Yeah, I think. Uh, and, of course, uh, Robert England. He had a very uh, kind of a small part. Uh, but Small part, but you know, he, he narrated the entire film. I mean, that was his voice narrating the film. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's Bob, Robert. Wow. And I, funny story is I met Robert many years before that um, because I had a fairly extensive theater career on stage. And I met Robert at uh, the Center Theater Group downtown Los Angeles. Uh, we were doing, um, we were both part of DeGuish's Men in uh, the great play, uh, Senator de Bergerac, that Richard Chamberlain was starring in. And uh, we met doing that, and we had a wonderful time. We, we've stayed friends all these years. He's, he's a lovely guy. I, mean, okay. I've often, I, I guess the one question I had, if you said, Earl, you can ask him one more question. No, yeah. no, I, I want to know the whole process of getting the role. He was obviously a surfer. His parents were actors. But, Earl, what's your next question? Well, I just, it pained me that that movie didn't do as good as I think it should have. Uh, and I look back and go, well, maybe it was a surf movie. It's maybe a hard sell to the mainstream uh, American audience. You know, at the time, uh, it was a Warner Brothers film. I think, And I think it was it had a significant budget. It was like $8 million, I think, at the time, which was fairly hefty uh, in 19, in the late 70s. And what happened when it came out, it was panned by the critics. But in the years that ensued after that, it, uh, when they came out with DVDs and whatnot, it became a cult classic. And I know that it did very, very well in the ensuing 20 years after that. Uh, the funny thing is, is that John Milius and uh, Steven Spielberg and who was it? George Lucas. George Lucas, they all traded points in each other's film. And they were all very chagrined that 
John's film failed and they're both, both their films did so well, but I think they've all, they've made amends. And I think, uh, I think big Wednesday did all right in, in, in all these years afterwards. So I mean, how do, uh, how does all three of you handsome guys in the seventies, I mean, Jan Michael Vincent's was a gorgeous man. And oh. I, you know, I mean, he was like the Brad Pitt of the seventies. Like, yeah. how did you all get casted? How did that all come together and talk about that situation? I was coming off a of carry uh, <clears throat> that was pretty successful at the course. Um, it was kind of a B film that became <clears throat> mainstream. I remember being in Newsweek and Time magazine the same week, which was pretty amazing. It really launched my career. Uh, and, and it was also a seminal film for Mr. De Palma, uh, mm. for Brian. Uh, and in fact, I would say for Sissy and, and, and uh, all of us, we all we all garnered careers out of that film, um, and 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 we we we've all worked ever since. But I came out of that. I did a film at Paramount, less well known, a film uh, with Susan Day called First Love, and then uh, a year after that, uh, I was called into the into Warner Brothers to meet John, and I sat down with John and Gary and Jan. We sat on a couch and we just shot the shit for. Gee whiz, an hour. And uh, we all seemed to get along. We all fit the parts, you know. Um, Gary was playing this out of control, eccentric guy. And Jan was a, Jan Mike was playing a guy on the brink. And I was kind of the straight, playing the straight and narrow guy. Um, and it all kind of worked out. We all kind of, when you think back on our lives, we all kind of became those roles, you know. I was from the Valley. I went back to the Valley. I gave up the water and went back to the Valley. Gary just, he played out that crazy <laughs> part. I don't even know what to say about Gary. He's great. And, and Jan, God bless Jan, rest in peace. You know, what? he was a lovely man who just, uh, he fell prey to his demons, should we say, you know? Yeah. Go ahead, Earl. Right. It, it really is uh, almost scary how uh, the three of you, like you just said, morphed into your characters from the movie in real life. And, uh, but do you think, uh, you know, I know when Stallone said he made Rambo, he got a lot of resistance because no one wanted to see a movie about Vietnam. Uh, do you think the Vietnam storyline maybe hampered the box office performance just because it got pretty heavy in, in the middle part? I don't think so. I mean, when you look at that sequence, that's probably one of my favorite sequences in the film. You know, uh, Daryl Fetty and, and Busey and all those guys, they go down to the draft board and uh, Gary Busey, you know, combing his hair with a fish. <laughs> and, and by the way, that whole sequence on the chair when he was lighting the cigarettes, can I have another one? Yes, another. All that stuff, that was totally improv. Totally wow. improv. And it was it was like one of the best. And then he gets up and screams and goes through the wall. Come on, that was classic. That's classic Gary Busey. <laughs> oh, I, I loved uh, the guy who played the doctor in that, Joe Spinell, who's, you know, another great character actor. And, great, great character actor. Yeah, yeah. I, cr I cry every time they line up when you guys are watching TV at your house and everyone lines up and says and, goodbye. And, you know, in the beginning, you know... It, I don't know if people realize that the, the gentleman 
forgive me, I forget his name, who played shopping cart, the older gentleman. All right. Uh, he was a uh, he was a favorite of John Ford, and uh, in the old John Ford films, and that was uh, uh, John Milius paying homage to John Ford. Right. You know. Now I got a question. I said you were going to be on the podcast today, so I put the thing out to the uh, the listeners, and Ashley wanted to know. And if you, I don't think you can see it, but it says Matt's dog in the credits, Brian Damage Vincent. What's that situation? Do you know anything that was, about that it? Jan, that was Jan's real dog at the time. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he was, and he wandered into the shot one day, and they just kept it after that. You know, so many things were accidental, and they just kept it. You know. <laughs> well, would you say the uh, party scene of where, of course, your Carrie castmate? Michael yeah. Talbot comes in and crashes and then Red Brown and, and you're yeah. making out with Patty DiArbenville. But would you say that was the funnest scene to shoot? <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun. You know, Michael Talbot got his jaw broken by Gary Busey in that. <laughs> when, when he comes to the door, Gary Busey hauls off and hits him and he broke his fucking jaw or, or his nose. One or the other, I can't remember, but that really happened. Wow. I mean, that, that punch did seem pretty realistic. It was real. It was real. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. We shot that on the lot at MGM. You know? You guys and probably, over the years, have probably more or less, you know, it's a, like you said, a cult favorite. And obviously, us nerds are talking to you right now. But, I mean, to this day, do you still get blown away how that meant so much to people? Yeah, you know, it was kind of a... it. it, it it did, and I think um, because it was a lost time, it was really just a, a thin ribbon of life on the coast, and uh, but it really represented it very well. And the film, they, people talked about it as if it was a surf film, but really it was a film about friendship and, and a really a, a time in life that was uh, will never come again. I mean, it was the late 60s, early 60s, the late 60s. Those days are gone. Yeah. Earl? It, well, it's so weird. Like someone asked me, "Why do you like a surf movie if you don't surf yourself?" And I'm like, "It to me, it's not really a surf movie. I mean, no. surfing's the background. Right. It's, it's kind of like uh, there's a football movie uh, called North Dallas Forty, right? Which, which really wasn't a football movie. It was just about how uh, the power struggle between owners and players and and the evilness. Uh, so it, it just meant so much to me and uh what was the reaction like when you know the movie might not have been doing as well at the box office was there like they're not promoting it correctly or no i don't know it was just there was always a fear that that's what would happen and i know uh at, at the time my god i wish i wish you could have read the script because the script was masterful it was just so rhapsodic so beautiful to read um, and, and, and again, I think, uh, uh, Robert England did such a magnificent job in speaking the narrative. Uh, we were all disappointed. Um, but you know, time has a way of, uh, time has a way of uh, making things better. And it did for that film. And I, I'm so, I'm so, uh, thankful that we did the film and, and it meant so much to so many people, you know, I want to get not like Point Break or Blue Crush. It's it's a, it's a much different kind of feeling. It's really much more romantic than either of those films. I want to give a shout out to the great Ron Bennington. 
not to cast disparaging remarks about those films because they were very good. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Or, 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 I mean, real quick, let me give a shout out to the great Ron Bennington on Sirius XM because every time I do a show in New York, we talk Big Wednesday every single time. Because that, so Ron Bennington, this one's for you. I'm going to send you the link when it's put up. Uh, we got William Cat here. We're doing it. Earl, go ahead. Well, it's funny because it's probably leads into maybe the next subject we're talking to. But I, you know, I I also love the surf movie The North Shore and oh, um, great, great film, yeah. But like Big Wednesday, it's like the Star Wars of surf films. It's just there's Big Wednesday. Earl, where are you going with this? Where are you going with this? Well, Star Wars. I'm just curious. Where's the segue? Well, the segue is uh, (laughs) Mr. Scott. I believe auditioned for the role of Luke Skywalker, and I wanted to know. You know, obviously at the time of the audition, did you have any idea, or did anyone have any idea how? monstrous that movie would become no no we we just all felt you know at the time i was a struggling young actor uh, you know going between uh, uh 275 dollars a week at the mark taper forum and then back to unemployment and living <laughs> between the two of those you know um and i had had a little bit of success in in some television episodics and things um I think uh, my biggest break came with Angie Dickinson. I was in the pilot of Police Woman, and uh, I got a lot of heat from that. Uh, and that kind of propelled me into some of the auditions that came there. How hot, how hot was she back in her prime? Dude, I got to sit in an elevator for three days and have my arms around her. Wow. And you you got win. So, you win. So hot. <laughs> I win. <laughs> <laughs> we all lose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, but anyway, uh, to digress for one second, uh, at the time, uh, uh, George, uh, Lucas, and Brian, who were both very good friends, uh, they were casting together. They said, let's. Let's see everybody that's available. So they ca- they brought in all the young actresses that were up and coming, and they brought in all of the young actors that were up and coming. And uh, we went through a series of auditions, but neither one of us had any idea. I had seen a couple of Brian's films, uh, Get to Know Your Rabbit, Hi Mom, a couple things he did with Bobby De Niro when Bob De Niro was first doing comedy. It's funny that he came back around that at the end of his career, to start doing a little bit of comedy at the end of his career. Wait, he was doing comedy first, Bob De Niro. Oh, dude, yeah, go back and watch. Uh, go back and watch some of those early Brian De Palma films. He was Bob was very funny, wow. Mister De Niro. Yeah, interesting. But anyway, so we came in and we did those auditions, but we didn't know what was going to happen. And I, I, you know, looking at it twenty years down the road, I, I thought uh, my audition was pretty good. I did it with Kurt Russell. We did the on-screen stuff. And uh, I thought we both did pretty well, you know. You guys would have made a good Skywalker and Solo, you two. I think my hair was too long. But listen, (laughs) nobody is trying for Kurt Russell. He's done pretty damn good. (laughs) Well, I think you've done okay yourself, though. So (laughs) I've I've had all right. I've done all right. (laughs) It was, I mean, because that role was, uh, you know, I think Burt Reynolds auditioned for Han Solo, uh, Christopher Walken. uh, Oh. I didn't believe uh, Perry King, I think, might have auditioned with you for Perry King from Riptide. Riptide, yeah. I remember he was one of the one of the cannel boys. 
We, there's a whole tribe of actors and behind the scenes people, editors, producers, uh, line producers, uh, uh, production managers that came out of that Cannell camp because he did so many series and he was so loyal and such a good guy. And there is probably hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people that came out of that Steve Cannell camp. Wow. Go ahead, Earl. Well, do you find, because uh, you are, are a very good-looking man, uh, but uh, do you find your looks hamper you in some Let me pull my face back here. Now I <laughs> no. probably look better, right? No, you look amazing. <laughs> you got your hair, you, you know. Uh, lucky, I'm still lucky with that, yeah. Mr. Cat won life. Yeah, yeah you really uh, won the life lottery. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, like, you were such a model-looking guy. Did your looks hamper you when you were auditioning for roles? You know, I, I, I'm not quite sure. I had a pretty good career in the theater. Uh, truth be told, I had a great, I was having a great career in the theater. Um, I always, I was always doing theater when I wasn't doing television or film. And I think the the moment that I pivot really was when I did Greatest American Hero. I I was unable to again. I'm not familiar. I'm not familiar. Yeah, with the exception of Pippin, I which I got as a result of that because I had auditioned for Mr. F for Bob Fosse and Stu Ostrow, the producer, many times. When I finally came in to audition for them the last time, I I walked to the piano and Mr. Fosse was sending some. I said, Mr. Fosse. I've auditioned for you so many times. Do I really have to do this again? He said, no, nah, you got the role. So uh, that was fun. But, but with that exception, I was, it kind of turned my career. And I think I was unable to get the roles that I wanted to get thereafter for 10, at least 10 years after because of, of playing that superhero. It's so ironic that today, Everybody wants those big tentpole franchises, you know? All the actors want that big franchise, you know? Well, let me ask you about that because I had John Schneider and Tom Wopat on, and I've had a lot of iconic guys. And yeah. you guys were on TV when TV was TV. Like, you had, huh. what, how many, 60 million? Like, ridiculous. Like, there's a couple channels. I mean, you were, like, the face. I mean, what was it like during that time in Hollywood, just living your life and doing that role? Uh, what was it like? <laughs> I I don't know. Um, I mean, would you get recognized nonstop? Oh, I mean, oh, you yeah. Oh yeah. Hey, I'd get on a plane and the pilots would come out and say hello or the stewardesses go, Oh my God, I'm glad you're flying with us. Now we feel safe. And, uh, you know, they were just having a, a lot of fun with it, you know, but I was, I was a youngster and I, I don't think I handled fame as, as well as I might have, you know, I was, I, I think at times I was pretty much a dick to some people. Uh, and I really regretted that. I, I should have had somebody uh, slap me in the face and say, Hey, just be, you know, you are blessed to be grateful, uh, say thank you. And, and uh, let's get on with things. And, but I didn't have that for some reason. And I, I, I regret some of my, stupidity at the time but learned my lesson i went on and uh i'm i'm, I'm grateful now that that i had that show well mr cat i don't know if you're familiar with earl skakel but he's the roast battle champion on comedy central 
And Earl had the same mistakes. Like he didn't handle that fame very well. Wow. You're getting recognized and you know, it, it kind of went to your head, Earl, right? Well, I wish, uh, I, first of all, I'll guess Mr. Cat is not familiar with me, but it's all good. <laughs> uh, can you talk about uh, auditioning for Greatest American Hero? Because like you said, you're coming from primarily a theater background. Yeah. You know, you're a, a quote unquote serious actor and you get this audition for, a, I guess, a, a pretty wacky sitcom. Was that hard for you to go from serious to... Well, I, I, I did. It was my... It was my ego at the time, you know? I was young and full of myself. I, I, my, my, it, my, my ego wouldn't fit in this room at the time, you know? That, that's how bad it was. And um, I mean, well, how could you at the time with so many millions of people watching you? I mean, that's it's kind of goes with the territory. So it, that'd be a hard thing to deal with. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. I, I guess so. But um, let me get back. The, the question was, what, what about the audition? Truth be told, I, I did not audition for that role. I mean, oh. Steve Channel came to me, my agent, Michael Black at the time at ICM, sent me the script. I thought it was very funny. Um, but I said I wasn't interested in doing television. At the time, I was on stage off-Broadway with, with the wonderful Diana Wiest, uh, who was starring in this wonderful play, Michelle Tremblay's uh, Bonjour La Bonjour. Uh, and we were at the Phoenix Repertory uh, off-Broadway, and I was happy to be in New York, and I was working. I was a working actor. Um, I got this script... And I think the only reason that I really thought about it, because I had a son that was about eight months old and I was making, what, $400 a week in New York, um, barely able to make a living. Um, and they told me, my agent said, Bill, it's going to run. Maybe it'll do a pilot and they'll order three or four shows. Then you'll be done and you can go back to New York and you can stay on the stage and work there. And of course, that's not what happened. Um, and, and, and Steve Cannell flew out and he met with me after an afternoon performance one day. And uh, he took me out to dinner at the Russian tea room. And uh, he was such a lovely man, so gracious, so kind, uh, so self-effacing. And he, he made me feel so comfortable that I said, OK, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. So the day I finished on a Sunday afternoon matinee, I flew to New York and the next day, uh, I had my hair dyed back to my natural color blonde because it was brown at the time. I was playing a French Canadian <laughs> in a play. I had it dyed back blonde and I went into the, uh, I met, met everybody there, Alex Beaton and the rest of the, the producer and the staff. And they were all just, just so lovely. They treated me like a, like a, like a real celebrity, uh, uh, like a God. And I, I just, I was, I felt so at home. Um, if you had met, if you had had the great pleasure of meeting Stephen Cannell, he was one of the greatest guys that ever walked the planet. Other than my father, he left the highest watermark on my life of anybody. I just loved the guy. Now, before we started the podcast, we found out you and Earl went to the same high school. Now, let's yeah, talk yeah. about this. Okay. Crazy sisters and brothers, right? Yeah. I mean, six degrees of separation at Notre Dame High, corner of Riverside and Woodman. Oh, my God. Woo! Oh, crazy school, crazy school. You get beat with a stick by the sisters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got uh, the brothers were a little rough on me. Uh, yeah, 
but you know, that was the well, mid eighties. Well, just looking at you, I can see why they were rough on you. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was a bit of a wild card. You know, this was you know it's the early eighties. You know. Well, yeah. Mr. Cat, let me tell you this. Earl's background, he doesn't talk about it, but he's related to the Kennedys. No way! Yes. Uh, my wow. aunt is Ethel Kennedy. As you can see, it's really helped my comedy career. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's uh, very, very funny. Well, uh, she's she's still alive, which is crazy. So yeah. That is crazy. So what did she you think, what she think about the current... Uh, our, 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 our the state of the country right now she's gotta uh, be she's pretty depressed she's uh you know i'm not very political myself but let's just say she's not a big trump fan but uh you know uh she's i don't know we're gonna see what happens pretty soon yeah you know? so you guys are both in la right now and i i moved out of there like how are you guys holding up out there like what's the situation like Dude, it was 121 degrees in the valley here about three weeks ago. Tell me, you know, when I was a kid, if it got to be 105 in the summer, that was a big deal, yeah. right? That was like really rare. But this last summer, three weeks ago, for like several days, it was like 119, then 121. It was like, are you, fu excuse me. No, please swear. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Please swear. I, I couldn't. I couldn't leave my house, and all are my shrubs and the trees. They're all just. They've all just gone. Bleh, you know. Uh, they've had it. Wow. So we're, I mean, we're not cactus, dude. We're not cactus. Earl, you're in West Hollywood. What's it like in West Hollywood? Uh, it's very hot. I mean, uh, I know uh, you're in the Valley, William, so it's it's probably 15 degrees hotter for you. But, uh, you know, and, and unfortunately, uh, this ain't the 70s anymore. The ocean in Santa Monica is pretty dirty. So uh, you can't even go in there for relief. Uh, oh, I know. You get hepatitis. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you ever uh, go surf anymore? Uh, no, I, I, I don't. Well, the water is so dirty, but, um, no, I don't. I have my board still hanging up in the garage. I have my board from big Wednesday and, and a couple other sticks and, you know, but I, I, I don't, I just, I, I haven't had time, you know, and I, and I don't live right on the ocean. I'm still in Woodland Hills. So I'm about 20 minutes from the beach, 25 minutes. Uh, Woodland Hills. I, I used to go to that Equinox over there in Woodland Hills. Oh yeah. 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 Very right familiar. Yeah. Closed like everything else, you know? It's so weird because I'm in Florida right now where they pretty much are ignoring everything. <laughs> it's like, okay, business as usual. So it's so it's, it's very strange to hear the, like how separated everyone is. I know people are like, all right, like get back to the greatest American hero. But listen, I'm having a podcast conversation with one of our heroes. Relax. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's get back to the greatest American hero because one of my first crushes was Connie Salica. Yeah. Uh, God damn, you're a lucky man. Oh, my God. I'm telling you, when that when that gal would walk into a room, heads would turn. Jet black hair, striking green eyes, a, a, a goddess's face, and one of the nicest women and the funniest people you have ever met in your life. I mean, she was iconically beautiful this, that time frame in the 70s, early 80s. She's, I can tell you, she's still beautiful. We, we don't uh, speak all the time, but uh, about two or three times a year, we text and exchange pictures and stuff of our kids, grandkids, and 
she's still just absolutely gorgeous. Married to John Tesh, by the way. I was at their wedding. They've been really many, many years now, 30 years, maybe more than 30 years they've been married. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I once gave uh, John Tesh a free membership at the Sports Connection. I was so starstruck. <laughs> He's a really nice guy, too. Awesome. Awesome guy. Great keyboard player. Wonderful man. And uh, just a, a, a beautiful partner for Connie to go through life with. Uh, do you ever see Michael Pere uh, walking around the hip Valley? I saw, it's been a few years since I've seen Michael. Uh, I, I, I think since 2008, so it's been that long. It's been over 10 years since I've seen Michael. Uh, I'm still great friends with Dennis Madalone, our stunt coordinator on Greatest American Hero. We are still very tight, very close. Um, and several other people I've, I, I stay in touch with from Greatest American Hero. But, you know, it's a long time ago, and unfortunately, you know, they're, you know, we're, we're losing some here and there. You know? Why? Let me ask you this. Why hasn't Hollywood, they remake everything now. Why has that not been remade with Will Ferrell at this point? Like, why has that not been touched, that show? Years ago, it was touted that it was going to be done with Owen Wilson, which I thought would have been a great, a great match. I could see that. And then, uh, it was, then it was Shia LaBeouf, who I thought, who I've always been a huge fan of Shia. I think he's a wonderful actor who can play both comedy and 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 drama, and he can ride that fence. He's he's so good. Uh, and then it went away for a long time. Uh, there were scripts. Cannell uh, had a script. Uh, there was another couple scripts. It was at Disney for a while. Then it went into turnaround. It was bought by 20th Century. Um, funny enough, Disney now owns all the library of 20th Century <laughs> Fox. But uh, it was made two years ago. They made it with a, uh, a gal in the lead, uh, a very funny gal, quite attractive. Uh, I believe she was an Indian, young Indian, East Indian gal. And my friend George went. I'm friends with George went, and he was one of the writers on that show. And he said, "Bill, it was a, it was a, 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 a very good show, uh, very funny. But they made it a half hour show instead of an hour." You know, yeah. And for some reason, it it didn't work. They asked me to be to do a voiceover, and I graciously declined. I just said, "I'm I'm sorry. I I just have too much integrity and dignity toward the original show. I I can't just do a voiceover." Yeah. So, so what happens that, when that, that iconic wasn't picked up? They didn't pick it up. What happens when that iconic theme song comes on at the grocery store? Like, what do you what do you do? Just you know, I'm like, oh my god! This, you're you're attached to that song oh. forever. Oh, I start singing it, and I <laughs> wave my hands. Believe it or not, oh yeah, yeah, I, I do all that stuff. He <laughs> pull up that guitar in the back and start jamming of out. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> do you think the song was almost too big and hurt the show? Because it, you know, I was... think I, I always wondered: was it the show that helped the song, or was it the song that helped the show. I don't know because the song was giant. It's still, it's still in rotation on a lot of radio stations. And then just go back to TV in general. Like those theme songs back then are so iconic. Like I can't even name like a theme song now, but I can sing the Dukes of Hazard or, you know, or different strokes. I can't, I, oh, I can't. Cause you just had John and Tom on the show for God's sakes. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> 
or even just like family ties. Like I, I know all those theme songs. They're so iconic, but now it's just, I don't know. I think it meant something back then. I don't want to sound like back in my day, but back in my day, things were cooler. Well, I think you were right, Chad. Cause like, if you think back to when greatest American hero was on or, and, and, Miami Vice a little later, like there's only three networks and there was no CNN or no uh, yeah. TNT and stuff like that. Uh, Hulu. And- yeah, I yeah. think, you know, I, I think it was pretty cool back then, uh, but it was a, you know, you had the, the Cannels and the Dick Wolves and the Aaron Spellings and it was all those kind of shows. And nowadays everything is taken, you know, everything is taken a darker turn. You got to be dark to be cool, right? You got to yeah. be dark. And, uh, and that's okay. I like that, you know, but, uh, it was a different time. I, I must admit, I'm a fan of television right now. I think, I think television is where you want to be. If you're a writer, producer, director, or an actor, gee, who doesn't want to get on a show that's running for seven to 10 years, you know? Yeah. Just I get on the, it. just get on the walking dead. You have like, you, you'll never get fired unless you get killed. <laughs> They now, can't kill you off because you can't die. That's true. Now, Earl, we talked before the show here, and he says, what are some auditions you didn't get that nobody might know of, like stuff that you tried out for that became iconic? Well, the... the Star Wars, obviously. The biggest one was Star Wars, you know? Um, gee whiz, that that's the biggest. And uh, Did you ever try out for, like, a show like Miami Vice or something of that nature? I've done, yeah, I've done... I tried to get on some of those shows, whatnot. Um and didn't work. I, I did audition for a walking dead and I didn't get that. Um, that was years ago when it was like in the, in its second season. That's the biggest show I think that I've done that I, that I didn't get, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Go now, ahead. Earl. When, no. Well, when greatest American hero, uh, you know, kind of ran its course, uh, and got canceled where you, because I know some actors don't like being locked into a TV show, as crazy as it sounds, for seven, eight seasons. Were you happy, sad, a little bit of both? Yeah, I think it, I think it was a little bit of both. Um, and, and honestly, there was no such thing as Comic-Con then. Yeah, you know? you're right. You're right. There, there, wasn't, there wasn't anything like that. So uh, I was kind of locked into wearing this red suit, and I think I was a little bit disappointed that I – I couldn't get the kind of dramatic roles that I would have liked to have done, uh, particularly on stage, you know, and uh, it, 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 I, I was a little bit resentful because of that. So I was happy that the show was ending years later. I was, you know, I, I really missed the fact that I missed the fact that I didn't understand how happy the show made a lot of kids and a lot of people that years later, they people would come up to me and say, Hey, you know, I didn't get along with my parents at all, but every Wednesday night I could sit down and with my parents, my dad and I would laugh out loud uh, at the same show. And it made me feel so good. And I didn't realize that at the time. So shame on me for that. Um, Shame on me. But at the time when the show ended, you know, I was, happy i knew i was already gonna i i was i started a national tour right after that with uh the the late great george rose in pirates of penzance i did a national tour and right after that uh raymond burr called me 
And he said, hey, we're, we're, we're rebooting the series and your mom's going to be in it playing Della and we'd love you to come play Paul Dredd. And uh, so I went and I did that. Coincidentally enough, just it wasn't but six months later, um, I got a call from the head of, I'm trying to think of this gentleman's name, Tannenbaum? No, I'm trying to remember his name. Anyway, one of the heads of the network called and said, hey, Bill, we're going to put you back on the show. Uh, we're going to double your salary and guarantee you two years on the air. And unfortunately, I couldn't do it because I was already locked into doing the series, uh, these episodes. But uh, that would have been fun to do. That would have been fun to do because the show was doing so well in syndication and reruns that they wanted to reboot the show. I wish I had done that, you know? Yeah. I wish I had been able to do that. Now, you said your father was on Gunsmoke? No, 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 no. He he played Kit Carson. Oh, okay. On Diamond. It was in the late 50s. You know, it was the same thing. Hopalong Cassidy and all those kind of 50 Westerns, you know? Yeah, yeah. He was cool, man. I grew up. My first memory is sitting under a horse watching him shoot something, you know, being on the set there. It was great. You know, we had horses. We had, he kept his, we had a, he had a gold stallion that uh, he kept in our backyard. We grew up in Sherman Oaks when it was still all kind of uh, dairy farms and orange, uh, orange orchards. Uh, you were too young, obviously, but when I grew up in the early 50s, that's what it was. I mean, it was big open spaces. We had a big place out there at the time. That's what I remember. Yeah. Did you? So, did, were you ever able to get get on those like uh, Western shows, like Bonanza? Or One of the first things I did was with Clint Eastwood on oh. a Rawhide. My dad was doing an episode of Rawhide, and I got to be uh, a, a little twelve-year-old kid on that uh, on that show. And I, I had a scene with with Clint. That's amazing. That's yeah. so cool. I felt lucky. Yeah, no, I, we just had Craig Kilborn who used to do the late, late show on the podcast and he had Clint Eastwood on and he says, I've never been starstruck until I met Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty neat. I mean, uh, my mom had dinner with Clint Eastwood when she was pregnant with me and she told him at the end of the dinner, uh, you'll never make it. You're too nice. So uh, <laughs> my mom would have been a horrible agent. Um, well, you but, Speaking of Westerns, let's get to Butch and Sundance, the early days. Okay. How, uh, how did that role come about? And uh, Tom Berenger, great actor. Uh, was that a fun movie to work on? That was real fun to work on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where did that come? You know, I think both Tom and I turned that down several times because uh, we didn't want people to think that we were undermining uh, the great Paul Newman and Robert Redford. Sure. You know, and, and at the time, uh, I'm not sure, but I think we were the first prequel ever made. It was a prequel where oh, you wow. took those characters and you made, you all of a sudden you did a, a pre-story. I might be corrected. Maybe one of the fans out there listening will have a, a better uh, recollection of that, but I think we were one of the first prequels and Tom and I both turned it down originally. And then they, they came back and made offers that we couldn't refuse. And I just had a wonderful time. I mean, I always said, most actors would say that if we could do nothing but Westerns for the rest of our career, we would do that because it's so cool. You get to work outside. You're with the horses. Uh, the Wranglers are, are always so cool. Everybody is typically in a, in a great mood. And uh, 
Yeah, it was great. The first night we were in Telluride, Tom and I, they, they rented us a, a beautiful chalet and we spent, him and I uh, spent two weeks together in that chalet. And the first night we got freaking so loaded on tequila in the sauna. Nice. We were up all night and just, <laughs> we became good friends after that. He is, a, he is truly a great guy. I was so happy to work with him. And you know what? I worked with him again. Uh, John Milius did a, a two-part miniseries called uh, Teddy Roosevelt's Rough Riders. And uh, I got to work with Tom again for four months, which was in Texas, which was another just a great hoop. Him and Sam Elliott and Gary Busey, a lot of guys that I knew. And John Milius directing. It was a it was a real boys club, you know? That's awesome. Oh. You also got to work in this movie with a pre-RoboCop, Peter Weller. Uh, uh, Peter Weller, oh my God. If you go back and you look at some of the cast in Butch and Sundance, all those people went on to have some. John John Shuck was on that. Uh, he was amazing. He, we had a great cast in that film, and this is all before those guys became big stars, you know? Brian Dennehy. Brian Dennehy, yeah. Brian um work with him i worked with brian again i can't remember what i worked with him what a great guy well iconic that gunfight in that town what they did is they boarded up a dam that was nearby they built the town and then just before we shot the big gunfight scene they flooded the town with a foot and a half two foot of water so the whole town was like flooded and we did the gunfight in the water it was it was pretty freaking amazing. That's awesome. It was, it was, oh, it was great, man. It was great to play a cowboy, you know? Now, let me ask you this, because I see a guitar behind you. I'm assuming you play the guitar. I, I goof around with it, yeah. All right, well, let's get a little topical. We lost the great Eddie Van Halen. Earl uh, is the, the, the quintessential 80s rock guy. I mean, oh, I mean. Yeah. Who, could for, who, for, who could forget Eruption and that solo on that and all those great songs he came up with and he was the one that brought the synthesizers to that band, you know, and ah, uh, just he's he that really rocked me when I read that the other day. Just just rocked me. Yeah, and they, they were Pasadena boys, from what I understand. Is that right, Earl? Yeah, they uh, played backyard barbecues in Pasadena. Yeah, and, uh, I guess Eddie was so scared that other guitar players would steal his moves in terms of the tapping he did that he would play with his back turned to the crowd. Yeah. And people thought he was an asshole, but he just, he didn't want anyone stealing his moves. <laughs> you know what? I'm, I felt like an idiot because on, on, on Michael Jackson's song, Beat It, I thought that was, uh, I thought that was Steve Lukather playing that guitar lead, but I didn't realize it was him, you know? Yeah, I think that was the only gig Steve Lukather lost out on. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's amazing how many... Uh, he's played on thousands of albums, literally. Yeah, uh, yeah him and who were the who were the best guitar... Uh, 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 Eddie Van Halen, Steve Lukather, Tim Pierce has played on so many freaking wonderful albums. All those guys. Oh, my God. Uh, Van Halen, man, what a, what a shame. What a shame. Yeah, I mean, growing, I always, up, growing, growing up in the time period that you grew up, I mean, were there like just iconic bands that you got to see, and maybe some of those bands knew who you were? Like, was there like a, a good? Oh, nobody knew who I was. You know, um, you know, at the time I was hanging out at Sound City. Um, you know, that, yeah, 
I don't know if you remember Sound City, but Joe Godfrey, who who ran that studio. I watched uh, the Dave Grohl documentary on Sound City. Yeah, so yeah, there familiar. you go. Dave took, take, Dave took that Neve uh, console that was in Studio A. It's in he he took it and, and, and put it in his house or in his home studio. It's just yeah. amazing. Yeah, I I was at that place. I was there all the time. I was buddies with freaking everybody over there. And Paula Salvatore was over there for a while. She's been running Capitol Records forever. And um, Rick Springfield was over there. Rick Rick and I were managed by the same guys over there. Uh, Joe Gottfried and then later uh, Dana Miller uh, handled Rick. And, oh, yeah. You and Springfield were probably, like, huge at the right exact same time, right? Yeah, but he's still he's still up there, dude. He's oh, still, Springfield's yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, he's absolutely. Still there. He's still rocking out. I saw a show in Florida just a year or so, a year and a half ago. Man, he was he was really great. Yeah. Great. Well, let's give a quick shout out to uh, Neil Giraldo, who actually oh, yeah. <laughs> the uh, guitar solo in uh, Jesse's Girl from Pat Benatar's band. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're going to be wrapping this thing up real quick. Uh, Earl, listen, let, let's get the big Wednesday stuff out of the way. You got you, you got one more last because this might be our last time with William Cat. Uh, well, <laughs> does I'll, it get? I'll be no. dead soon. <laughs> no, well, it, that kind of leads into my question. Like when I watch that movie, uh, I kind of get sad now, you know, in 2020. Uh, because you look at, you know, obviously uh, Sam Melville, uh, we lost early, and, and, you know, there's Jan Michael Vincent and uh, Shopping Cart, uh, yeah. Yeah. you know, and does it get sad for you uh, when you look back, you know, like Brian Dennehy's, uh, some of the people you've worked with are no longer with us, and, and like, yeah, we're remember, at that age where... Yeah, yeah, you're at that age where you think about your mortality a lot, you know, and uh, I remember just a few years ago when I, just before I lost my mom, and I'd say, mom, half my friends are gone. And she said, Billy, all of my friends are gone. You know, <laughs> you know, that, that's the reality, a long life. You know, it's a, it's a blessing, but it's, uh, as Garth Brooks said, every blessing is a curse. Every curse is a blessing, you know, and that's, that's what that is. But I, I'm happy to be here still have kids. I still get to work occasionally. I have friends, you know, I don't have an agent anymore or, or I don't, I, I won't audition anymore and, and I'm blessed. I don't have to work, but I do work when friends call me that are your age that are still in the business and they, and they call me up and I'm happy to go work and play on the set. And that's what it is for me these days. It's playing. I have a lot of fun, you know, and you still I have it. I did a, a small role in a Ryan uh, Philippi film, the second, and I have a film coming out of Lifetime called Hark for the Holidays, and I just did a, a film with Bruce Stern called Overrun, and that's 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 great. So, you know, I still I still mess around. Don't look at the behind your back. Who is that? I don't know. <laughs> okay. I guess it's your. Uh... That's my wife saying. Hey, that's it, guys, okay? She just gave me the sign. All right, we're going to close this thing up. Earl, anything else? <laughs> uh, just thank you for doing this. I'm sure this wasn't on your bucket list to talk to two unknown comics. But, oh, uh, no, man, I've had a ball. You guys are the best. Thank you so much. Mr. Cat, if the comedy store ever gets running again, you got to go see Earl perform. He's fantastic. I will. I'll go and do that. I'll, I'll heckle him. 
Oh, please do. I do some big Wednesday jokes. Uh, I'll, I'll tone, uh, maybe I'll sing a few bars of uh, Believe It or Not, and uh, we'll just have a blast. Yeah, do whatever you can to embarrass me. Thank you. Uh, well, you can embarrass me by just uh, yelling something. Uh, you know, we'll talk about uh, life. Okay. Yeah, I'll be obnoxious as I can, okay? Uh, it was the honor was all mine. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks, guys. You're a good man. Thank you so much, everybody. William Cat, follow his Facebook page. Obviously, Earl, he's on social media. Inappropriate Earl, you guys were great. Leave a five star review on iTunes. I hope you enjoyed it. The great Brody Stephen, enjoy it. Eight one eight till I die. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Oh,